All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 35th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 855 points or 2.4%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 35 points, or eight-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 54 points, or four-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 9.3%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 19.7%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 36.7%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. I've got all kinds of numbers. My my page that I prepare for every weekend's Money Wise program is so full of numbers. Do you want to hear about the November performance? Because it was the best month, I think it was like since 20, since 21, like, I believe. Was it 21? Is it that far back? I thought it was I believe it's 21. Pray tell. The, the Dow for the month of November was up 8.8%. The S&P 500 for the month of November was up 8.9%, and the NASDAQ for the month of November was up 10.7%. And we are Just, all, we are less than 2% away from an all-time, all-time high on the Dow, less than 5% for the S&P 500 away from an all-time high, and less than 12% on the NASDAQ. You know, this week in the Dow, we were up just 2.4%. We could be at all-time highs in the Dow next week if they if there's a repeat performance. We could we be could. at all-time highs on the S&P 500 by the end of December if they even do half if we if the S&P does even half as well as it did in the month of November. Now the Nasdaq to get to all-time highs by the end of the year I mean that's going to be That's going to be tough. That's going to be That's going to be a stretch. Cuz it's got to be a, you know, 12, you know, the other 12% from here, that's going to be a little bit of a stretch. But if you'd have told me 
or told any of us because I should have I should have looked at the, our predictions for the year. Now that we're down to the last month, and I can't I have remember. Yeah, I I I close to remember what mine is, and I'll tell okay. you because I was the most bullish. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm no doubt about that. I'm sure I was probably the most bearish. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. Mine has come been on. the same the last three years, so I think eight or something like that. But, uh, well, you, one day. If, you, you, if you, you do the Abby Joseph Cohen <laughs> prediction of between between uh, eight and ten, yes. you know, she, she only kept that prediction for her entire career. But go ahead, Jeff. But, but if you had told me at the beginning of the year that the Dow would be potentially at an all-time high, by the end of the year, and the NASDAQ, pardon me, the S&P 500, pretty close, I'd have thought you were crazy. Because we still had um, several interest rate increases. I don't have the number of them off the top of my head that we've had this year. But again, you think about it for a moment, and I've said this said this to several clients this week when we're ta- you know, talking about how what we're looking at you know, into 2024. And I said, you know, the thing that's so still so surprising to me you know, we had 11 interest rate increases now from beginning in March of 2022 to the present. And, you know, basically the Dow, the S&P both reached their all-time highs roughly at the end of December of 21, the first, I think maybe the first trading day of 2022. So the, those those two indexes reached their all-time high roughly three months before the Federal Reserve started raising rates. And then they raised rates 11 times. And then if you if you told me that we that we'd have all these interest rate increases and a couple of years would pass and the Dow would be back to its all time highs and the Fed hadn't cut rate one. They haven't cut rates at all, right? And we'd nope. be back all time highs after eleven interest rate increases, the most since the nineteen eighties. I would have said you're crazy. But that's exactly what's happened. Yes, Joe. Well, I mean, we always talked about this the last year. Ain't no, there ain't no fun to the Fed is done. And I think there's a sense that the Fed is done. So the NASDAQ led the way and the S&P, obviously. And now you have a more of a broad rally. And we've got, what, 8, 8%, 8.9% on the Dow last month. So it was quick. I mean, that's how quickly the market can change as far as the Dow Jones or the S&P. And that's why you have to have participation in the market because you it, it's it's – Really, really hard to time, but I think everybody's anticipating that. Um, but I, I don't think they're going to have any cuts till maybe middle of next year. Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, you took the words right out of my mouth, Joe. This is the reason why we've always educated on this program. The all-in, all-out strategy is a failed strategy. It's been proven historically because you always have to have a level of participation in the market that you're comfortable with and that you can sleep at night with because the market timing in and out is failed, and that's the exact classic point. I mean, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which up until November had really not done anything, and in fact, you go a month or two before that, was in negative territory. But with all of that said, we still take a look at the equally weighted S&P 500. Now, this performance number is through Thursday's close, because we don't have the updated Friday's numbers since we record this show Friday after the bell. But through Thursday of this past week, the equally weighted S&P 500 is up 6.56%. So, you know, it's not close to getting back to its all-time high from an equally weighted standpoint. So this just goes to show those handful of Magnificent Seven tech stocks that have just been the absolute growth engine 
for the S&P 500 to steam back within 2% of its all-time high. And now the big $64,000 question going into 2024 is when or if we're going to see a recession, how deep it is going to be, and are we going to finally see some breadth widening in the S&P 500, in the broader markets, where it's not just the tech stocks or just a handful of tech stocks are doing all the driving of the growth in the marketplace. And I know hearing some pundits on CNBC on Friday afternoon talking about different industrial sectors to look into and to maybe start making some investments into, and guess what? For the ones that they were discussing, we're already there. So we're, we will happily welcome all the other investors to come into these sectors that we've been participating in all of this year. With that, we're going to take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. If you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So we didn't even get a chance to touch on this in the last segment. We're continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week, but it's been several weeks since we've had a new show. Joe, can you make a phone? Well, I shouldn't say you need to make a phone call up to your alma mater because they already corrected their football coaching issue. So maybe we'll not be as preempted next football season for the fighting Texas Aggie pregame. Christmas came early for me. They've right. only partially corrected it, right? Because they haven't hired a new coach. No, they did. Right? <laughs> this past <laughs> week. Where did I miss that? Who did they hire? Uh, Jeff might be getting like pigeon mail or something. I didn't, but, uh, I didn't know they hired somebody. <laughs> they hired Mike Elko about a week ago. They were going to hire Stoops wow. from Kentucky. Then I don't know what happened. I don't know enough big money ags to find out. No. And then they pivoted to Elka, who was a defensive coordinator, Jeff, for them before and turned their defense around. And everybody's happy, happy, likes Elko a lot. And he's a good guy and he's not flashy. And, but so to your so point maybe, about they're killing. Anyways, I'll go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so maybe next football season we won't have, because this is in our what now 19 years of doing this show. Jeff, I think this is the most we have not been off during the football season. Yeah, it's been uh, going back time. to 2005. It's been a long time since we've been off uh, this this many times in a in a football season. And like, if if A and M's playing well, we're on the radio. If A and M's not well, playing playing well, then we're not on the radio. If you're in and you happen to have a radio show, make sure your college team doesn't hire Jimbo, and you'll be all right. <laughs> Sorry, good good out there. Point. Point duly noted. So getting back to talking about, you know, again, the past few weeks that we haven't been on the show and the recovery that we've seen in the S&P 500 uh, going back to the end of October, you know, one one point and something that I texted both of y'all early this morning when I was looking at my technical charts and getting the daily volume update from yesterday on Thursday 
And the thing that really stuck out of the chart at me was yesterday, Thursday, was the highest buy volume the entire year for 2023 in the S&P 500. In fact, buy volume that was 42% above the daily moving average. Then you go to Friday, we had another pile on of buying. It wasn't as high as Thursday's buying, but it was 16% above the daily moving average. And so the question I kind of posed to both of you gentlemen before we started the show, because Thursday was the end of November, the end of the month, was was this 42% above daily moving average buy volume more window dressing? Was it a combination of window dressing and net new longs, net new long-term investors coming into the market for the impending Santa Claus rally that we could potentially continue from November through December to the end of the year? Or, again, portfolios just getting prepared for 2024? Because, Jeff, in the last segment, you were talking about how kind of surprised you were with all the interest rate increases, with the kind of year that the market had last year, the worst combined stock and bond market since 1872, to see the S&P within 2% of all time, or excuse me, was it 2%? That's the Dow within 2%. Dow. The S&P is what? What percentage within, again? Five. Within, within 5%. Within 5% of all-time highs. And that this, again, is something that would not be expected because the Fed has not cut interest rates. And, in fact, majority of the Fed governors, whether voting or non-voting, that come out in front of the financial entertainment press are still talking hawkish that our job might not be done yet. There might be another interest rate increase. But as we've always tried to educate on this program is that the stock market is a forward-looking mechanism. You know, the stock market is is anticipating and looking out maybe four to six months into the future. So here's the thing about this year and the word anticipation. Because the the, the anticipated behavior, the future expected behavior of the market has changed drastically as the year has gone on. And all you got to do is look at a chart of the S&P, the Dow, or the NASDAQ, and every time you see that chart shooting up shooting up in a short period of time, that's because the expectations were, were, were saying, at, at least at that moment in time, that the Fed was done and we're going to get interest rate you know, cuts here sooner rather than later, and maybe we'll have a recession, maybe we won't. And then we know what happened this summer. We got a couple of hot inflation-related numbers. I think one of them was an employment number. And the sentiment changed. Oh, the Fed's not done. Oh, the, the you know the R word rears its ugly head again. You know, and the and then the Fed comes out and it you know says, hey, anybody expecting us to cut rates next year, forget about it, right? And we had that summer swoon, if you want to call it that. And then, wow, we get a couple of favorable inflation numbers from employment, from the actual CPI. Increasing unemployment and, and, claims. And, and, some, and, some feet, and some Fed speak that was, you know, somewhat more dovish, but not necessarily from the chairman. You know, the chairman seems to be the one, Powell seems to, one carrying, seems to be the one carrying the hammer, and everybody else that goes out and speaks really isn't. He's the hammer, but everybody else is not. 
So well, he, he doesn't want to so make they him, don't want to make another mistake. He doesn't want to make another mistake. I understand. He just it, it's just all out of talk. So here here comes November. Now sentiments changed again. Fed's done. No more interest rate increases. Yeah, we had that big run on the ten-year Treasury ran up to almost five percent on the close, and the markets were reacting negatively to it. And then the sentiment changes. And the ten-year Treasury yields—I don't, I don't want to say collapse because I mean they, they've come down substantially. It's down eighty basis points. We're down, down sixty basis, basis points. Yeah, six tenths of a percent. Yeah, we ran it up what almost a hundred there during the summer, and now we've dropped it sixty basis points in a in a handful of weeks. No one is talking about recession. You don't hear anybody talking about recession. How do you talk about recession? We talk about the, it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. How can anybody hold your horses, be, Kyle? How can anybody be talking about recession when you get the second revised third quarter GDP number this past week at five point two? Yeah. How do you, how are we going to go from five point two to zero this quarter? Absent a uh, another worldwide pandemic, do you think it's going to be zero this quarter? Think we're going to no. go from five? to zero in the following quarter, the, the economies don't turn a dime like that. So the if you if you subscribe to the classical definition of a recession, it ain't happening in the fourth quarter, right? Mm-hmm. So so that pushes you into 2024. And we, we'll, we won't even get the last reading on fourth quarter 2023's GDP until March of until 2024. The end of March. So you got to have you got to have zero GDP in the first quarter of twenty four zero GDP or negative GDP growth in the second quarter. Second quarter. So now you're talking about the end of the third, yeah. the end of the, the third quarter before you can even officially declare that we had been in a recession. Because you got to have because one of the typical classic measures of whether we're in a recession or not are two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Now, Kyle's getting ready to tell us about uh, an article that a client read and called us about that has now decided on some other measure of, of, of declaring whether, <laughs> whether we're in a recession or not. You've got like six but in the last two years. Well, and, 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 I'll, and, I'll just, and I'll just prep it. You know, longtime client, longtime listener of the show, a great conversation. I, you know, he and I, the, this one particular client and I, anytime we talk, we just have really good intellectual skull sessions and it's it's always nice. And this was two articles from these. It's it, it was two op-eds from two different writers using this same data point as the foundation to claim that we are actually currently in a recession. But the way that they were gauging whether or not we're in a recession isn't the classic econ one hundred and one like Jeff just described: two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And I know before the next break, I'm not going to have time to go into what they were talking about in the article, so I'll pick it up on the other side of the break. I just wanted to set it up. But it's interesting when these financial entertainment press writers can start defining their own rules or have their own ideas of what defines a recession, and it completely throws in the face the classical, the classic economic definition of a recession. And, and steering away from gross domestic products. So that just means that I guess any of us can say, well, because of this one particular statistic, we're in a recession. But as Jeff just reported, with 
The second revision of third quarter GDP being up 5.2%, which was elevated from the previous reading, which was in the fours, you know, I, I, I really could not confirm or would even agree with these two op-ed writers that are stating what I'm going to talk about on the other side of the break that would be stating that we're in a recession. So I'll pick that up in this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program. Before we went to break, I was talking about a conversation that I had with a client, longtime client, longtime listener of the show, who'd read two op-eds from a publication called the Epic Times this past week. Uh, and he, after he read the op-eds, he just kind of had a big question mark over his mind on the premise that both of these two separate writers were writing about concerning recession and that they were utilizing tax revenue or the decline of tax revenue that has been brought in by our government the third quarter of 2023 versus the third quarter of 2022. And because of a 10% decline in tax revenue for the third quarter of this year, in their minds, that means that we're in an economic recession. And he called to say, you know, does that sound right to you? Where are they coming up with this? And we wound up having a, you know, lengthy, more than an hour conversation. Great skull, skull session, skull chat, talked about a lot of different things. And again, as Jeff was talking in the last segment, we, since we've had a lot, since we've had a new money wise program, we've had the second revision of third quarter GDP, gross domestic product, which was elevated, increased to 5.2%. So from a, classic definition of a recession we are nowhere close to a recession at 5.2 percent gdp and something else i found interesting is i went and i found the data the actual 12 month the year over year tax revenue from the end of october of 2022 to the end of october 2023 and our tax revenues as the government's tax revenues actually has increased 27 percent so these writers were literally extrapolating one month, a one month of October 23 comparison to October of 2022 comparison. You know, folks, it's these kind of writers that stir up emotions in investors, that start defining, redefining what a true recession is, and coming up with their own theories based in I don't know what. And I'm always wondering, what is the motivation? behind that, you know, to gin up this emotion in investors stating that our tax revenue has declined 10%. Well, yes, from October of 22 to October 23, comparing the two months, but going the 12 months backwards, tax revenue is up 27%, up 27%. 
So that would completely blow their theory out of the water as far as declining tax revenues. And then I looked historically, going back to 2015, our tax revenues as a country is still higher than where they were in 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, 2020. So the re- you ask why why do writers write these? Well, this particular publication is a far right wing publication, and it is in the far right wing's interest for regime change in Washington. I think we can you know I'll no, agree. There's no there's no disagreement amongst us that there needs to be a change in Washington. Not only at the president at the presidential level, but there's a lot of Congress people that also need to be changed. Um, but this, you, you cherry picking statistics to try to create some new measure, whether we're, whether we're in a recession or not, you know, I would love to know the names of these two writers. I would hazard to guess that neither one of them, um, have any business, have any real business experience, probably, you know, don't have any economic experience, certainly don't manage money, um, which makes their, I mean, they're welcome to express their opinion, but I think you just, as a reader or a listener, you need to understand the credentials of the person, you know, saying, you know, exposing, you know, saying this opinion. Okay. Um, and, you know, take it for what it's worth. I would probably put more um, worth in someone's opinion. That's actually got some experience uh, has made investment decisions or, or ha, you know has experience in economics or finance in some way over somebody that's just you know writing uh, for the sake of writing and you know filling pages of some right wing uh, uh, news online newspaper to support you know their particular political political ends, which also you know I could ex- you know extrapolate that out into what happens on conservative talk radio when it comes to the sale of product, whether it be. Gold, the, uh, the talking, precious the metals. Talking, whether it be the talking heads on the most popular uh, conservative talk shows, you know, hawking, you know, by and large, gold um, to the you know, annuity the, the ad, commercials, the ads, the ads that run, you know, on their shows, on their shows, talking about the collapse of the dollar and the collapse of this and the collapse of that, and you know, it's not true. The dollar hasn't collapsed this this year. Go look at it. You know, it has a yeah. collapse. It's never collapsed. It's just, you I, know, it's just fear. It's just, you know, everybody's trying to sell something. Those writers well, are trying to trying to get readers that subscribe to that, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, this this negative this negative attitude towards all things e- economic. If they if, if they don't have if they're not if their particular uh, I'm taking this to the extreme for a moment. If their particular politicians are not the ones leading in Washington, the extreme that those folks that want to take it to the extreme, well, I'm just not going to own any stocks. I'm going to put all my money in gold, or I'm going to put all my money in cash, or I'm going to put all my money in CDs. And then they miss, and then they eight percent plus move in the Dow S and P and Nasdaq because because as I tell clients. You know that 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 have the have these strong political opinions, and sometimes I feel like these political opinions. Well, if we weren't around, if we weren't the ones actually making the investment decisions, 
they would they would be one of these folks sitting in gold, sitting in cash. Now, what would that portfolio look like? You know, what would that portfolio look mm-hmm. like? And I and I you know, and folks are they're kind of scratching their heads and says, How could the market be doing quote unquote as well as it is given the leadership we have or lack thereof in Washington? And I said, Because because the market doesn't care about that. That's right. The market doesn't care about that right now. It doesn't mean that it can't sometime in the future. It doesn't mean that suddenly it can care, but it doesn't care about Ukraine. It doesn't care about Israel. It doesn't care about Hamas. It doesn't care about who the president is. It doesn't doesn't care who's in control in Congress. The market doesn't care about any of that right now. All it cares about is are interest rates going higher? Are they going lower? When are they going to cut? Are we going to have a recession? Are we not going to have a recession? What's happening with earnings? That's what the market yeah. cares about. It doesn't care well, about anything else. I, I, and, I, until I, and hold on, until it does, and this is why active management right. and, and, yeah. and this is why active management is so critical. Why the passive investment strategy that the majority of the legacy distribution system has been following for more than a decade plus? Why that is such a dangerous philosophy and strategy I, I to take? Think about that, real quick, Kyle. Just talking about active management, I'm just looking at all the, the numbers for the year. And do you think the international index is beating the S and P or the Nasdaq this year? It's barely, nope. barely beating the Dow. Just had a heck of a run in the last month. What I'm getting at is active money management and the legacy systems that have 10 to 15 percent of international investing. They've been wrong for or 10 more. years, folks. 10 years or, or more, or more. 10 years. 10 years at 10 to 15 percent. Is that active? Uh, I mean, you know, I've seen, you know, 25, 30%. It all depends on which Monte Carlo theory or Monte Carlo computer program the legacy distribution firm is utilizing and quote-unquote calling it quote-unquote active management. That's not active management. And that's the reason why I also wanted to bring up this this conversation, and Jeff, you know, expanded on it, and so did you, Joe, is that when you when you hear these things, whether it's a, a TV, if you see a TV and hear a TV commercial, hear a radio show ad, read these op-ed pieces or these articles, you need to take it all with a grain of salt. Like Jeff said, who is the writer? Are they a money manager? What is their experience? Are they talking their book? You know, that's something that you have to also take with a grain of salt when you watch CNBC and the different people that they come out and interview that are in the industry because they could definitely be talking their book. You talk to someone like a Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley who has been one of the most bearish people on the street well, he's going to be talking the market down and trying to gin up fear to try to hopefully get a lot of other investors hearing him saying, you know what, I better get a little bit more money in cash to maybe help their bearish positions in their portfolio because if they're sitting as bearish as he's talking, they are getting clobbered this year in their portfolios. I don't know their performance, but I'm just assuming based on based on his, you know, his, his analyst take. And so you always have to take this with a grain of salt. Now, of course, MoneyWise gives you the opportunity as a listener to submit questions, to send questions to MoneyWise at DavidsonCap.com. Send us show ideas if there's something you want to learn about. Before you go ahead and sign on that line in which is dotted, get a little bit more education before you buy something that you're going to wind up regretting. Because we see those regrets coming into our office every single week, whether it's an annuity, variable, fixed, equity indexed annuity, real estate investment trust, mainly non-traded, which is a big old commission maker for all the legacy distribution firms. All of our listeners of the MoneyWise program have, have access 
to ask us questions. They have access to give us ideas or topics for us to educate and talk about. So you need to use that to, to your advantage, and we've been doing this on the airwaves going on 19 years now. So use us as that resource. With that, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, last segment, sorry, did a little bit of a gratuitous, I don't know if it's gratuitous marketing or gratuitous education. I mean, that's the primary point of the MoneyWise program of all of our listeners utilizing us as resources to help avoid making detrimental financial decisions with their uh, investments, with their retirement nest eggs, either pre-retirement or post-retirement. And, Joe, I know during the break, you know, you wanted to remind the listeners that we have a lot of resources on our website at davidsoncap.com, a lot of different interviews, a lot of blog posts that are, you know, multiple blog posts every single month that are a lot of good, solid educational topics that are is always a resource to use. And then, again, if you're not seeing something uh, that you want to learn more about, that's when you use the MoneyWise at Davidson Cap uh, email address to email us show ideas or something you want us to, to, to discuss. And during the commercial break, Jeff, you came up with another piece for uh, for individual investors to be educated about. And the new well, word on Wall Street. So what is that new word? Tell us. So to me, one of the, the new dirty words on Wall Street that's, that's, that I'm hearing more and more of is the word private. And I think it really came of, its, came of age here in the last couple of years as we – prior to the 11 interest rate increases we've had by the Fed, we had this zero interest rate policy, and people were out there just hunting for yield, hunting for yield. Where's the yield? Got to find yield. And and so Wall Street started coming up with these products, you know, private equity, where you can now invest, you know, with the big boys, with the institutional money, you know, creating these funds, private credit for those looking for higher yields on fixed income instruments. Um, well, private equity has been around a long time. Private credit has been is getting more and more popular now. For, for the most folks to be able to invest in that, you got to be qualified, a qualified investor. I'm not going to go into what the qualifications are. It's a because some of them, net- Jeff. Some some of them, they're even they're they're some yes. of the qualifications are you know like you have to have a million dollars of investable net worth, or you have to have income over three hundred thousand dollars or more, and some different deals. Because I actually read just the timing of you bringing this up during the commercial break on Friday morning. I read an article about this entire topic where there's new there's some some deals out there now where you have to have 
$5 million of investable net worth to even have a chance to get into these investments. And and just so everybody understands the, the threshold to qualify there, there, you don't have to necessarily produce any documents. If you have an unscrupulous person on the other side of the desk trying to sell you something, there'll be a wink and a nod that, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. You qualify. Wink, wink. And let me get you into this deal. And I'm going to get, you know, five, six, seven, who knows how much commission. But the second you hear somebody pitching you something with the word private in it, you should think of two things, fees and liquidity. So fees are going to reduce your return. Higher the fees, you know, the harder it is, it's going to have an effect on returns. And we we talked about this at length. The easiest way to improve the performance in anyone's portfolio is to reduce their expenses. It's the easiest way. It's harder to pick, you know, pick allocations and, and securities. It's very easy to cut your expenses. If you, but you got to understand where they are. You got to understand where to find them. And most people don't know how to be you and figure out what it is that they're paying, what the bottom line is. That's where we come in. Free portfolio review and analysis. There's our, there was my gratuitous marketing <laughs> comment right there. Jeff's never gratuitous. Rare. Private is just, it's the new buzz. It's the new buzz word on Wall Street. The thing about it is, is what are the, what's the performance of these of these particular securities? I don't even know you call them securities. They, they don't they don't have a lot of history because they who really values them? Offered, who they, who they, values well, them? Also, yeah, yeah, that's true. There's there's a lot of uh, of uh, ways that they can adjust the values of those securities, but the liquidity part is what drives me nuts the most. To me, that's the big one. That's the big one. That is the big one. Because we at Davidson Capital Management will never invest in any instrument, stock, bond, doesn't matter, where we can't get our clients' money back in two business days or less. We don't own things that we can't get our clients' money back in two days or then. Two day, two business days or less. That has a public market, has a publicly published price. We don't invest in anything other than those types of instruments. If it has the word private in front of it, it's not traded on a public market. That's why it's private, and it's going to have it's going to have tie ups. It's going to have if ands and buts. It's going to have uh, you know quarterly. Uh, a, uh, withdrawals, and they may restrict on how much you withdraw. Even if they allow you to withdraw at all, some of them may have longer tie-ups. These are not things that we invest in. These are things that we don't recommend our listeners invest in because liquidity is paramount in a portfolio because things can change in a heartbeat. Sentiment one day is the Fed's cutting rates in the next 10 minutes. And the next day, the sentiment changes and the Fed's going to raise 50 basis points tomorrow. And, and well, you might have to, I, I'm being very extreme. And, yes, but the point is, is that things that are private are going to reduce your flexibility in your portfolio. Flexibility and liquidity go hand in hand. 
And, and again, they're marketed as this exclusivity. Right. Like we only let That's, in a few people. Oh, yeah. You're going to be investing with BlackRock and all these other big organizations. You're going to be side-by-side, side, shoulder-to-shoulder with these guys. Heck, no, you're not. I mean, that's part of the sales pitch. All, you know, and that's the key, sales pitch. Yeah. That is the, best, the key. The best of the best deals are going to go to the biggest of the biggest, right? That's right. When it, comes right. To the, 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 when it comes to those private deals. Everything else, okay, well, maybe, you know, we'll offer this to the general public. they got to be qualified, wink, wink. And you better be ready to have your money tied up for an extended period of time, and you better be ready to pay some fees. But before you invest in that, read prospectuses or call us and ask us about it. Or send us an email, moneywise at davidsandcap.com. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, and I found a, an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things... Every retirement portfolio should have, and for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners in the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the, the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one for the five things every retirement portfolio should have and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack 
of consistent income, or I should say decent income, for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock and kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again. Uh, the dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5. I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know they can get consistent income. I was going to say the problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired that, that they can survive on, unless and as we've talked on this program. If you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I for think any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. 
So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we there, there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid privately traded REITs or REITs in general. There's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value. Many of the the, the mesh limited partnerships, some of the REITs, had large declines in values and saw their yields go up. And for whatever reason, the the, the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8, and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value. And so, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can't actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more uh, – uh, there's a better treatment of, of, of taxation – uh, on on those dividend paying stocks, and you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up, right before we went to commercial break, the REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had and i've said i've actually seen this when i've talked to somebody that said oh kyle look at the great 10 15 12 percent uh dividend yield i'm getting and i'm sa- and i said to them but you've lost 50 percent or 75 percent of the value of your original investment and then i see the look come over their face saying oh my gosh i just realized that i was like you said earlier focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture so for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. 
Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management. You have to read the fine print in every perspective. As we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that, oh, you know, it's that's all these all these. Yeah, this is it. It can't go any higher. We'll go. We'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began. And there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And, you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar. But most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port, have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks. And what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013, for those investors that had high allocations to bonds, they thought that being invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at, I don't care where the markets are, I don't care what the news is, I don't care what the Fed's doing, I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling, and so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, and, you know, and, and suddenly, this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again, because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to, to fixed income found out that, yes, 
you can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here that have come through our front door that have been in that situation. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, Number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans. And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. 
And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – the one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension, is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, that's if you choose the single life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of our break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions. Um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less then option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident, 
But guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement. You don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liqui- it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of uh, payments which is in essence an annuity they don't ever call it that I know. which is very interesting it's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office it never says annuity 
It's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is an essence and annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and in essence have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves by but but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case complete liquidity complete complete flexibility flexibility. and complete access at all times and the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case god forbid an emergency is three business days that's it And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are, because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff. Some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to to, to To mislead their retirees that that, that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as, right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, we, Jeff, we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we had said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis, and the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, the, they're required to report, you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs, where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially, 
you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts, or REITs, in bold letters. Now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and right. is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've you been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we have we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're now in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. And our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, and the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based 
uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs. Ask the questions. And, and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you, you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's, that, that's, that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And, and, and the person on the other side of the table should not hem-haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because – Cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses, and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go, we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show. They can add up, and they're not always obvious. And you have to, as Kyle says, dig deeper to figure it out. Uh, for folks that are involved with Wrap accounts at the major brokerage houses, and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in. Many of those wrap accounts start off at two, two and a half percent per year, and go up from there. That's right. Uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management, and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I will, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again, is long-term growth. The bottom line is, is as you get closer to retirement, and as Jeff said at the, the beginning of this second hour, you can't just board up your portfolio. You cannot say, well, I'm two or three years away from retiring, so now I'm just going to move everything 100% into fixed income. Now I'm safe. Yeah, preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth. You always need growth, whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. You need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with pre preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation 
is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio. Not paying attention to that, not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss. Well, it's not going to show it on your statement, but it is a loss. One thing that that I think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the CPI running around two percent are just about over, yeah. and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit-sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week